Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then it then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself. All right, welcome to episode number 49 of Grow Bud Yourself, our cannabis cultivation podcast. Uh, we got a great one for you guys today. First, we're going to talk to psychology professor Dr. Mitch Earlywine uh, about some legalization issues and, and other things. Our interview is with Greg and Tracy from CryoCure about uh, freeze-drying cannabis and what the uh, benefits of that are. Uh, we got a cultivation segment for you, a great one with Strain of the Fortnite. Uh, six tips for growing great tasting weed and uh, grow Q&A, all brought to you by Rocket Seeds, Sweet Leaf Plant Nutrients, Diamond Cut Co. Trimming Scissors, and Excelsior Extracts THC Infused Pain Relief Rub. So stick around. Episode 49 of Grow Bud Yourself coming at you. Hey, you guys, I really want to thank our sponsors from Excelsior Extracts. These are great friends of the show, uh, great friends of mine for many years, incredible growers, incredible people, and they have made some incredible products as well, including their THC-infused pain rub. And you know it works because you're talking about people who are real, true cannabis medical patients that are making this. Just want to shout out Outcast and, and uh, TOH. Check them out on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts. That's E-X-C-E-L-S-I-O-R-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S. Excelsior Extracts. DM them if you're interested in trying out that pain relief rub. Tell them Grow Bud Yourself sent you. And uh, yeah, man, thank you to uh, T and O from Excelsior for sponsoring the show and being just such great friends and supporters. All right, welcome back. And it is episode 49. Thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong. And we are back. Yeah, man, we're back. We had a great show, lots of good information. We're going to talk to Dr. Mitch coming up in just a minute. Indeed. You know, we should also just before we get to Dr. Mitch, maybe say that we've been New York centric. We live in New York, but that's not the only state that is legalized. We should welcome Virginia to the legalization world. Indeed, Virginia. That is a big one for sure. That's great. Kind of unexpected. Uh, so to me, at least, it was a little under the radar, but essentially uh, the governor had a plan and the uh, House and the Senate, they approved the amendments that he made to it. That's uh, Governor Northam. And essentially the biggest point of interest here is that instead of legalizing by 2024, Virginia is going to legalize this summer. So very exciting. Wow. Yeah, that's great. Got us thinking here. At Grow Bud Yourself, what are the what are the next states that are going to go after, you know, we have New, New Jersey and now New York and now Virginia. So what's next? And I, I think personally, uh, New Mexico has a very good chance. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I would guess Connecticut. Connecticut, definitely. Yeah. Things are moving forward there and Rhode Island as well. Mm hmm. Yeah. So essentially in all of those states, the governor is very much in favor of legalizing. And in all of those states, they have a very democratic uh, legislature. So they're moving bills through, and uh, 
New Mexico could have retail sales beginning as soon as April of 2022 if they can pass a bill. And I do think you're right that uh, Connecticut and Rhode Island are going to move soon as well. The ones I'm less uh, enthusiastic about, I guess you could say, but are still on the radar are Pennsylvania and Minnesota. Hmm. I'd love to see Pennsylvania go. That, that would be great. That would be a big deal. And uh, their, their governor, Tom Wolf, there, he is behind uh, legalization, but... Uh, they have a Republican-controlled legislature, so it doesn't seem like there's a lot of uh, movement to pass it through through uh, the legislature. Maybe it becomes a ballot uh, referendum or something like that. Well, I like the lieutenant governor, uh, Fetterman. Mm. I like that guy. He's, he's a badass. I fully support every, <laughs> everything he's about. He was flying a weed flag there and everything. He's, uh, and I think he's going to be running for governor as well. Yeah, it's tough in these states that have sort of opposing viewpoints when it comes to the lawmakers. You know, maybe the House and Senate are for legalization and the governor opposes it or vice versa. In Minnesota, their governor, uh, Tim Walls, he's somewhat behind reform. But again, it's a GOP-controlled Senate and they're expected to kill any legalization bill that makes it to them. So tough to say it's going to move forward there. But I think our picks, you know, if I could speak for the show here, our, our picks are New Mexico. Rhode Island and Connecticut uh, going next. Yeah. What do you think is going to be the last state? To, to the go? last state to do it? Well, <laughs> you know, it's going to come up in the interview with Mitch, but it doesn't seem like Nebraska is awfully close. All right. Okay. Nebraska, Idaho. You think Idaho? Uh, I don't know. Who are we going to have to drag across the finish line? <laughs> we shall see. But uh, it might actually end up being that federal legalization happens before each of these states has a chance to decide one way or the other. And then it's a moot, a moot point. Right. I think that's what happened with uh, with alcohol. The end of alcohol prohibition just kind of swept across the nation. Very true. But we love this uh, this trend that we're seeing with uh, cannabis law reform. It's really very encouraging. And obviously, we're in a good mood here in New York. So that's sort of a look at, at uh, what's going on uh, with legalization. Congratulations again to Virginia. But we have a really great interview with uh, Dr. Mitch. Yeah, let's, let's talk to the doctor. All right. So uh, this is uh, our interview with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Okay, and uh, we are pleased to once again be joined by friend of the show, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, a professor of psychology at SUNY Albany and also the author of The Parent's Guide to Marijuana. Thanks so much for being here with us, Mitch. Always a pleasure, guys. And uh, we have a lot to talk about uh, this week. But um, but first, I guess uh, we have some really good news on your end because uh, a paper with some research that you've talked about on this show previously has been published. So yeah, the take-home message on that was that uh, cannabis users seem to think that THC can create this oceanic boundlessness, which is one of the mystical experiences that seems to help predict who's going to respond well to psilocybin in the depression trials. And I just wanted to kind of show that that was a possibility. It was a real uphill battle, but it's in the Journal of Psychopharmacology, which is a pretty uppity journal, pretty pretty high tier, and they were willing to to help me get the word out. So wanted to spread the news that perhaps cannabis could do some of these things that psilocybin has been doing for folks at end of life, uh, maybe post-traumatic stress disorder, and certainly in clinical depression. We're not to the trials yet, of course, but I'm really grateful to just get the first idea. 
No, that's incredible. Yeah, I know we we've covered that uh, on the show before, and uh, I know Dan has mentioned that he has felt the oceanic boundlessness of cannabis. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, there is definitely something to the idea that there's there is mild psychedelic qualities to cannabis, and and certainly. Uh, if you've <laughs> ever eaten, eaten too much edibles or tinctures, I think uh, you could probably relate. That's how we got started. Actually, in 2016, we published a like everybody's got that crazy edible story. So we had an aversiveness side, but we also asked them how meaningful was this, and about eight percent said it was one of the most meaningful experiences of their lives. And that was how it just kind of gave us the idea, maybe it's worth tapping into this for therapeutic effects rather than something folks might consider bad. And if you guys can imagine, you know, uh, hitting the vape pen hard and putting some eye shades on and listening to some music that doesn't have any lyrics and just kind of thinking about what's up in your life, I'm sure we could all find that pretty therapeutic. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and now as everyone knows, we're going to have the opportunity to do such things legally because, uh, New York, uh, has legalized cannabis. So um, we wanted to get your take on the bill that passed and uh, and how you sort of foresee this affecting the residents of New York uh, from a mental health aspect. I was pretty pleased because the small, you can grow three plants. Uh, the licenses are going to be attempting at least to go to folks in underrepresented groups. I'm guessing that some of the medical dispensaries around here will make the transition to taxed and regulated recreational use. So I think it's going to be really good. I know folks were you know, worried that it's going to end up in the hands of kids. And uh, we know folks in some states seem to think that that is also lethal. But uh, truth be told, I think more than anything, we're going to have fewer people driving to Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. New York's going to get some of that money and uh, maybe beat New Jersey to market even. I was surprised by that, too. It seems like things are going to go into effect pretty rapidly, and nobody's talking about Cuomo's sexual harassment stuff anymore. Yeah, or the nursing home uh, fiasco exactly. that occurred. Well, since you since you brought up the kids, why don't, why don't we discuss this? Um, there were a couple of things that happened in March, um, some of it revolving around a, a National Institute of Drug Abuse study which basically found that uh, teens are more likely to develop addiction to cannabis within a year, uh, more likely than young adults anyhow. And, uh, but that is about just under 11% of teens uh, became addicted. So people have used this study to sort of extrapolate that it's going to be, a, you know, legalization will be a plague on, on children and uh, so forth. What, what do you make of this study? Uh, NIDA doesn't have the best track record, I guess, when it comes to being honest about cannabis, but but where do you kind of uh, land when it comes to this? I've got, you know, genuine concerns about little kids using cannabis for reasons that I, I think are pretty obvious. I know that NIDA tends to jump to the, it's going to wreck your developing brain and then you're going to be an addict for life. And I just don't think that's what's going on. In fact, what really seems to be the case is folks don't seem to learn some of the social skills and emotion regulation skills they could use if they're depending upon cannabis to handle that for them earlier in life. Bottom line is, yeah, you, you really do have more risk, but I also feel like the assessments for cannabis use disorder are a little bit biased against younger people. So 
they tend to interpret the items in a way that looks more pathological than they probably are. And at least, you know, it's gotten better than it was back in the day when we still had cannabis abuse. If you had an arrest, you qualified for the diagnosis, which I found pretty uh, insanely biased. I wrote a thing to some journals about that back in the day. I'm glad that that's no longer part of the symptom list, but it, it, it does make me think that we got to get the word out. Hey, this is not a toy and it's, it's not for kids, but nevertheless, this notion that, uh, there's a lethal dose or that, you know, kids are going to try it once and, and suddenly be uh, having to hit it every single day. That's just not, it's just not true. Yeah. And the, the, the idea of um, the drug being perhaps lethal, uh, this, this comes from Nebraska governor Pete Ricketts, who, uh, who got up at a press conference screaming that, that legalization will kill your kids and then pointed uh, reporters to studies that say that, uh, that cannabis use has been tied to uh, suicide attempts by some people. But, um, you know, is there anything that actually backs up this claim? So it's intriguing because that whole cannabis and depression literature is really convoluted and kind of a mess. If you do have suicidal ideation and you're self-medicating with cannabis, then it looks like, oh, hey, cannabis is creating this suicidal ideation. Tom Denson and I did a paper years ago just kind of showing if you get the folks out who aren't already suffering from, say, cancer or HIV or something like that, you don't see the links to depression that allegedly are, are, are such a big deal. A big review years ago also suggested that the longitudinal data don't really support that. Another one was published saying it does. What I'd like to do is just take this opportunity to you know, get the word out that, hey, if you're clinically depressed, we've got great treatments for that and you know, three months of good psychotherapy and you'll be stunned at how much you improve. I'm not a big fan of the SSRIs and some of the meds that a lot of folks hand out for depression, um, but I do know some folks who really swear by them. And truth be told, I, I'm I'm not concerned about suddenly this wave of suicides. The other argument I often hear is about uh, cannabis intoxicated driving, and of course, you know we've we've discussed that before. If if you're not accustomed to using cannabis and you're a brand new driver, that, that's not a good combination. So please don't don't drive high. But we do notice is that folks take steps to compensate for the way driving is often impaired by cannabis. So they decrease the distance between their car and the car in front of them. They tend to start stopping as soon as they see the stop sign much sooner and things like that. So don't drive high, but drive as if you were, right? Go slow. Don't try to pass other cars. Stay in the center of your lane. And it, it should really not be a big deal. I would add, too, if your parents are going to jail for cannabis, that is a real drag for kids, too. And so I'd much rather see a look at the plus side on these new laws rather than trying to perseverate on this notion that the sky is going to fall. For sure. Yeah. And to your point, there must be a massive link between depression and Prozac use uh, as well. So uh, <laughs> just, just how you look at it. What's um, funny, too, is nobody nobody uh, goes off Prozac much anymore, and I was kind of stunned by that. And there seem to be these withdrawal symptoms from the SSRIs that nobody actually ends up labeling withdrawal. They start calling it, oh, I'm relapsing, and then they go right back on. And it's kind of sad because nobody talks about withdrawal symptoms from those, and yet big reviews suggest that they can be pretty severe and pretty long-lasting. Interesting, Yeah. And and just going quickly back to your point about driving, um, this Ricketts from Nebraska also 
mentioned that in states that have legalized, it's increased the um, the fatal car accidents that have occurred there. I don't know if you are familiar with these numbers, but is there any truth to that? Because it's something that you hear a lot. It's sort of a prohibitionist talking point. Um, you know, they could they could hit you with that, and there's really nothing that you could say to refute it, even though it doesn't sound like it's it's plausible. But is pot causing an increase in fatal car accidents in states that have legalized? So what's funny is how they did this was they looked at all accidents, then they looked at uh, accident. You know, basically they just ran all the stats they could and found that this was the one that showed up. And so I, I do see some elevated rates of fatal car accidents in states right after they get a legal market, but it's never that it doubles, right? It's like 1.2 more. And then they have such a large sample that, of course, they can say it's statistically significant. So I would encourage folks to look at the size of the effect rather than its statistical significance. And I do notice that folks who aren't accustomed to driving high, if they drive high, they don't do well. So the bottom line is right after that legalization, yeah, we do see this elevation, but it's often a 20% increase, not a 100% increase. And I'm optimistic that this is going to dissipate as each state uh, has a little more time where people are learning, hey, I, I really cannot drive on this. And, and is it accurate to say that that increase isn't necessarily tied to cannabis? Like, is there any proof that the people involved or causing those car accidents were high when they did so? So no, and those those data aren't great. Uh, just because you have metabolites in your urine doesn't mean you were high at the time. And I, I do notice that if you've got a legal market, people are much more willing to say, oh yeah, I'm a cannabis user. And so now I think that that may be playing a role in this elevated appearance when in fact it's just people used to just not fess up back in the day. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Well, uh, speaking of uh, cannabis use disorder, you also had some more information on that, but but pertaining to nature, right? So the, the, the journal Nature Reviews has a big article out now saying uh, cannabis use disorder, we're not taking it seriously enough, and we don't have any medications to address it, which I just find comical as if medications are the way to solve a, a problematic drug use problem. And the data are, you know, accurate as far as what's been published. But if you try to publish a paper saying, hey, cannabis use disorder doesn't change or it's not very serious, it's a real uphill battle. So uh, Allison Luby and I years ago showed that daily users who were dependent or at least had some symptoms of problems versus daily users who did not had all these other things contributing, including, I hate to say it, hard drug use. So a lot of times the difference between the folks who are showing these problems and the folks who are not may be that they're just attributing something to cannabis that isn't really their issue. And a lot of times people don't remember this, but alcohol in combination with cannabis changes how quickly you can metabolize it. And I think it's, a, it's lasting longer in the folks who have a couple of beers as well. And it just can't really recommend that. I realize I say that in big groups of undergrads and they all say, wait, I can save my cannabis bill by having a couple beers. But the, the bottom line is uh, it's alcohol is toxic. Alcohol is a poison. And I'm afraid that some things are getting attributed to that, that really uh, cannabis did not create. Makes sense. All right. Well, you know, we were really interested in having you on. We're, you know, we, you're a New Yorker, you're up in Albany and, and we wanted to, uh, 
of course, celebrate this monumental moment in cannabis history with New York uh, legalizing. So thank you so much for joining us. And uh, and why don't you tell everybody just real quick how they can, uh, you know, learn more about you, see what you're up to online. So that 420research at Gmail, that number's 420research at gmail.com. We are trying to uh, do some single case studies on this cannabis assisted therapy. So if you're interested in, you know, filling out a little questionnaire a week before and then having a little session like that yourself and having us follow you up, we'd, we'd certainly be game. And again, you can email me at 420research at gmail.com. All right. Thanks so much. That's Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Uh, we appreciate it as always. And uh, we'll be right back with more Grow Bud Yourself. Keep up the good work, guys. All right. Uh, that was very good. Good to hear from the doctor. Yes. Always great catching up with friend of the pod, Dr. Mitch. Yeah, he's always insightful and informative, uh, so that was great. And uh, and we also have a really insightful uh, interview coming up with uh, friends of ours from CryoCure. Yes, indeed. Greg and Tracy uh, from CryoCure, they make machines, uh, very expensive machines, but uh, incredible machines that do, in layman's terms, it's freeze-drying uh, of cannabis at very uh, extreme temperatures uh, with a vacuum and all of that. So... Uh, which, you know, again, you hear about it immediately, uh, you know, my first thought is why would you need to do that? Or, or is that really necessary? Uh, but, uh, I, as in, you know, as a skeptic of the process, I actually came around to, to realizing that there are definitely benefits to it and, uh, certainly worthy of interest, uh, the actual freeze drying for, uh, the purposes of flour and concentrates. So uh, very interesting interview. So I guess without further ado, uh, we'll be back after these messages with Greg and Tracy from CryoCure. Hey, you guys, I want to tell you guys about a sponsor of ours, Rocket Seeds. Uh, check them out at rocketseeds.com. They have a ton, I mean, over 500 different varieties of cannabis strains available, uh, high quality seeds, great genetics. Uh, they ship worldwide, which is very important, uh, reliable support. And they also ship for a variety of different seed banks. They've got feminized seeds, autoflowering seeds, regular seeds, uh, CBD seeds. A lot of people are looking for that. So check them out at rocketseeds.com or on Instagram, rocket underscore seeds. They are awesome and we are really happy to have them on as a sponsor. So check them out, blast off and get your seeds from rocketseeds.com. All right, we are back and it is Grow Bud Yourself, you guys. We are truly honored to have our special guests today for you guys. Uh, it is Tracy and Greg from CryoCure. Welcome, Tracy and Greg. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Thanks for having us, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to have you guys. And I think people are very interested in finding out more information about uh, what you guys do. So, uh, why don't we get right into it? Why don't you tell us a little bit? I mean, I know the, uh, the in layman's terms, 
people talk about uh, freeze drying, but uh, you guys refer to it as cryo cure. Can you tell me just a little bit about what uh, what you guys do and what cryo cure is? Absolutely. Well, it's it is a method of using a freeze dryer to skip the hanging phase of drying and almost do a hybrid of a freeze dry in a traditional cure is the method. And it's usually ready from the time of harvest about 24 hours at most 36 hours. And it all really depends on the type of end product the cultivator really wishes to put forth. You know, we found that uh, by leaving a little bit of more, a little bit of moisture in the flower, that we get something that's almost close to a traditional cure. But if you try to let it go longer, it ends up a little styrofoamy and full, um, which gives it a, a more of an off the plant look, which is kind of what we go for. Is the whole idea is to be able to smoke the flower exactly how it looks on the plant, with no shrinkage or no degradation. And so exactly what does that process entail? So take, take us through uh, harvesting, basically. Uh, now, are you, are you trimming all the leaf off uh, and then immediately freeze drying buds or, or how, how does it go down? Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like the same principle is doing live resin extraction. You want to get that plant into a cold atmosphere within an hour of the time that you chop it down. Now, the best preparation that we found for the process is to debuck the plant, you know, obviously remove the big fan leaves before. You can leave the sweet leaf on and dry it with the sweet leaf, the sugar leaves or whatever you want to call them. Um, when you do it that way, it, it does, you're not able to fit as much material into the machine as you would if you would do a wet trim. So we found that people who use a wet trim prior, they can get more material into the machine and have less contact after it's finished. So less touching of the flower, knocking off the, you know, fragile trichomes that are on the outside of the flower. So, but you can also have the ability to dry the trim at the same time and do a, a wet, a dry trim afterwards, after the process. So it's really either or, whatever your preference is. Right, now, aside from the, the time that you save, uh, you mentioned being finished in 24 to 36 hours or so from, from when you chop the plant to when it's ready to smoke. Um, what are the other benefits uh, of freeze drying upon harvest? Well, obviously the freshness, um, the availability of the cannabinoids in their acid state, which is kind of the pinnacle. Um, it's more of a cerebral type uh, high. You actually get a little bit different uh, effect from it. Uh, some people say that it's, you know, almost a sativa effect, but that's, you know, it's really indicative of how people's bodies uh, react to the terpenes, the main, which is the main benefit of cryocure. We found a way to run it through a freeze dryer and preserve those terpenes. Those terpenes are super valuable. I preach this to everybody who buys a machine from us and anybody that's listening, you know, the terpenes are worth way more than the THC and the cannabis. So those boiling off and under a traditional cure, there's so many different monoterpenes, which boil off at room temperature and by doing this process you're able to preserve those monoterpenes in the flower and give the customer a more medicinal experience from the flower. One of those terpenes that we discovered that we preserved when cryo curing was carrying and I wasn't familiar with carrying before 
So we did a Google search on it and realized that uh, carine was a fragile monoterpene that does burn off traditionally with the traditional cure. And by cryocuring, we preserved it, but it has bone healing uh, properties and anti-inflammatory properties. So we were really happy to see that that was preserved in our process and hopefully that people will realize that benefit. Yeah, absolutely. And also, um, I would imagine that there's issues with mold and mildew when plants are drying for seven or 10 or 14 days in an enclosed space. Uh, does this help with that? Yes, absolutely. It does. Um, what, what we found is it depends on which state that you're in and how they're testing for it. But most states that are in line with the future and how things will be tested, they're plating. They're using Petri disks and they're actually taking the sample, putting it in the Petri disk, rubbing it on it and putting it and leaving it there for a day or two in an optimal climate to see if mold spores grow. And if they do, it fails the microbial test. Well, another way of determining if there is, is visual. So powdery mildew, if they see powdery mildew on a sample, they'll immediately fail you. So there are there is a way to go about remediating that through our process. One is if you do have a powdery mildew residue on the flower, we recommend doing a light hydrogen peroxide and water mix where you actually submerge the plant and shake it around in the water and then shake it dry and then bucket and freeze it. That will remove the residue on the outside. Now the cryocure process, when it's down, it's negative 20, negative 30 degrees Fahrenheit, and it goes under a vacuum. It's basically the equivalent of outer space. So those mold spores, they're either hibernating or they just die off. Not exactly sure what's happening, but when every time that we've tested a sample that's had powdery mildew and had the microbial tests done, they passed with flying colors with those two steps in mind. Right, you mentioned temperatures of negative 20 to negative 30 Fahrenheit. That's not something people can achieve in their home freezers or something like that. No, Uh, no, not necessarily. Some, if you buy like chest freezers, if you crank them down to their lowest setting and leave them sit, they might hit negative 20, but the second that you open the top and put product in there, it really never achieves that negative 20. When I say negative 20, negative 30, that's our holding temperature of the product. It pretty much stays at that temperature, frozen solid, uh, for at least a minimum of an hour. You know, obviously we've had product that's been stored up to four months in a freezer and processed, and it was just as good as the day that it was harvested. And you're also talking about vacuum pressure within the unit. What role does the vacuum play uh, as far as, you know, the, the cryocure process? So the vacuum what that does is that'll lower the boiling point of water and it also initiates the sublimation, which is the term for what's basically happening inside the chamber. You're taking a frozen product, putting it under vacuum and applying light temperatures. Those temperatures will take the water crystal and turn it from a crystal to immediately to a gas, skipping its liquid phase. Now that gas will travel to a colder area because it automatically wants to recondense back into a solid and recrystallize. So that's where the vacuum will be pulling the, va- the gas that was inside as moisture and recondensing it to a condenser coil into the back of the machine where it'll trap it. Okay, so the process is freezing, vacuum pressure, uh, sublimation, then that condensation you're talking about where the vapor is condensed back into a solid. Uh, 
and then from there, defrost? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. After that, once once we've uh, condensed to the back of the coil, then we remove the product and then defrost that. Now, in that water, we have multiple different settings that you can run in our machine. Obviously, there's the smokable flour, which we prefer. That's going to preserve all of your terpenes. But there are other settings where we can remove the terpenes from the flour. It's one of the most economical, fastest, easiest way to extract terpenes from biomass that I've seen in all of my years of extraction. So knowing that and knowing that the terpenes are the most valuable part for those farmers who have that crop that they're going to send a distillate for extraction and ethanol where they completely lose the terpenes, I'm telling them, run, run the, extra, the terpene extraction, pull the terpenes off. Now, what happens is it'll pull the terpenes off along with the water and trap it in the form of ice in the back of the machine. It'll dry the material out completely and remove the terpenes from that material. Then once the material is clear of the machine, we defrost it and that liquid that comes out, we, we keep. That will naturally separate in separation funnels where, because the oil is lighter than the water, and so terpenes are mostly oil, they will float on top of the water where they naturally separate and you can drain the water off from the bottom and catch the terpenes that way. Or we're looking into using centrifuges for the bigger, larger machines where people are pulling off gallons of terpenes at a time to run them through a specific gravity centrifuge, which will separate it and do it at an easier scale than using, let's say, a thousand milliliter separation flasks. That's interesting. Now, uh, I feel like one of the benefits of, of traditional, what people call freeze drying when they're talking about like you know, army food and things like that is to improve shelf life. Uh, does this improve the shelf life of cannabis as well? If sealed properly and, and stored properly, yes, it can preserve the life of the flower. However, we found in certain situations like deli style um, settings where you can walk in, open the jar, where they're having it exposed to UV lights, maybe in the sun coming in through the storefront window. You know, that's not really how we recommend because of it being so uh, porous and not, it didn't shrink. It has a lot more surface area to the flower. It can bleach out pretty easily but if you are exposing it to a lot of sunlight and opening and closing it. Now, you know, obviously, as we move forward into the future, and I've talked to a lot of owners of dispensaries about, or people who are trying to brand their products, if they do sell in bulk, at least sell it prepackaged with their branding on it. So their product represents what they're trying to be as a company, not just trying to join the rat race. Nice. Um, now, I've also noticed that concentrate makers are uh, very excited about the possibilities of what freeze drying uh, can do to help them in their uh, extract artistry. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how this process works with concentrate making? Yeah, absolutely. Um, being able to remove moisture in uh, any extraction artist would know that moisture is the enemy. So before doing live resin material, you would have to use fresh frozen flour. In order to extract fresh frozen flour using hydrocarbons or BHO or butane or any type of uh, solvent, propane that they use, um, 
you would have to freeze the material to subcritical temperatures by using dry ice and jacketed columns with chillers, uh, which could be very time consuming, expensive. Um, in order to do that, you know, it, it takes a lot of time to do that live resin and you don't get as quality of yields, but you do get a great product that's very highly sought after. By using our machine ahead of time, you're able to get that live resin extract with all of the terpene complex in it without using dry ice or chillers or jacket columns. Honestly, we're doing live resin extractions uh, using room temperature solvent with no media, CRC, and getting incredible quality from flower runs that were done with CryoCure. And that's just on the hydrocarbon extraction side. Also on the solventless extraction side, I mean, that's really where freeze dryers really started coming into play is people were using the freeze dryers to dry their bubble hash so it can be pressed into rosin. So, I mean, obviously when you're dealing with big, big freeze dryers, you you can have a really big rosin operation and not have to worry about using small home models or little smaller scientific models that are, you know, they're still pretty high priced. And that becomes a, you know, thing in of itself. It just, there's a whole world of freeze dryers out there. And that's one of the things too, Danny, I want, that's like our big mission right now is educating everyone on the difference of cryo curing and freeze drying. Right now, you know, people are hearing about freeze drying, so they might be going out and investing in large equipment and only to spend several hundred thousand dollars to install a freeze dryer, put their cannabis through it, open the door, and it's as dry as the Sahara Desert with no terpenes in it. And they're like, what happened? We wanted cryo-cured cannabis. Well, traditional freeze dryers were born to remove all moisture. You know, that's what they were made for from food, dog treats, you know, moisture is not good for pres preservation. So what we've done is taken a traditional freeze dryer and modified it. So we just want to make sure everybody's aware that there's freeze dryers and then there's free dr freeze dryers with the cryocure recipe in it to make sure that it is perfect flour for whatever way they want to use it. Right. So it's actually built specifically for cannabis. Um, now, what about hemp? Uh, a lot of people, is, it's becoming very popular, hemp flour, uh, you know, smokable hemp and that sort of thing. Uh, can people who are growing hemp also take advantage of uh, cryocure machines? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, hemp looks beautiful. Actually, hemp uh, Ed Rosenthal took Greg and I to a hemp farm out in California, and it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. It looked like regular weed growing. I was like, there's no way that this is hemp. It looks just like smokable, you know, weed. And he's like, no, it's hemp. And when it's, we had some that was dried, I'm like, oh, it's nothing like it's former self on the plant. I was so disappointed. It was so ugly. And I said, if we could have only put this in the cryocure machine, it would still look exactly like it did growing. So I think for smokable flour, it's definitely a, a benefit for that. Yeah, I mean, for me, that was the interesting thing was seeing a plant that had been alive, you know, 24, 36 hours beforehand and, and having it be smokable and still have that bright green look to it, have that like spongy quality that well cured cannabis has but not that dark brown uh tinge that you get sometimes when uh the, the you know the buds sort of convert uh or the even the cannabinoids as you mentioned uh you know the thca is preserved but that also means that you're not getting that degradation uh to cbn 
which makes it you know more of a lethargic high and that sort of thing um, but let's talk about the actual machines that you guys sell uh what kind of space do they take up and and how much uh you know wet weight can they take in at a time uh can you can you talk a little bit about the actual machines sure sure yeah uh this our smallest machine at the moment is our cc360 that has just a little bit over 50 square feet of shelf space now what i tell all of our customers is that you can fit one to two wet pounds per square foot of shelf space and that's really all dependent upon the density of the cultivar you know because they vary so much it's difficult to give an exact range um but i tell them like uh, for instance gorilla glue four will take up one and a quarter wet pound per square foot now those drying cycles that they go through are 12 hour drying cycles if you decide to pack it denser we're seeing cycles that are running around 16 to 17 hours depending upon the density so, you know, it's anywhere in between that 12 to 16 hours, we're getting that perfect moisture content on the inside that just needs to be cured out through one or two burpings, quote unquote, like a traditional style to allow the moisture that's still in the flower to even out. So that's CC360, that'll do up to a maximum of 100 wet pounds per cycle. And we found that that being that sweet number for extraction artists and for people who can tear up where they can have multiple units running for redundancy um, so they can run multiple different cultivars at once or offset them a couple hours which allows them to reload them and load them so they can stack those machines up and then for the guys who are really pulling down some serious weight we have the cc 720 which has over 620 square feet so we tell our customers you can fit about 1200 wet pounds which those wet pounds convert down to one cryo cure pound is four wet pounds so it's one it's 25 percent is what it's coming out of the machine so 75 percent being water yeah, and you know, people. I guess people can actually program the moisture settings as well, and like temperatures, time, uh, for their own purposes. I would imagine, uh, you know, a hash maker might have a different purpose than someone who right. is going to retail those flowers and that sort of thing. Yep, there's over a hundred different pre-programmable settings that they can put into the machine. Well, this is pretty awesome. Um, why don't you guys tell people how they can learn more about this as far as uh, like a website, Instagram, uh, you know, YouTube, where maybe they can see this in action as well. Um, how can people find out more about CryoCure and how it can benefit them? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Well, before I do that, I just want to let everybody know uh, we get a lot of calls about when are we coming out with a home model. And we are trying. We are expecting our prototype in this summer. And if it passes muster, we really have a high quality standard. We don't want to put junk out there just to service the market. So we're very excited to get that in. So stand by everybody for that. But in the meantime, you can check us out on Instagram at CryoCure Cannabis. And also you can check our website out, which is robust with web uh, with test results and case studies and blogs, all the education you need. And that's at cryocure.com. That's awesome. Um, well, I think it's really interesting what you guys have done here. I'm really excited to see the home 
use model that you guys come Me out with too. as well. I think that's going to really be a game changer uh, in the marketplace and certainly uh, disruptive in that way. Um, we've always had this traditional view of how cannabis should be dried and cured. But I think ultimately that it is colored a bit by prohibition and the need to hide the plants and to uh, jar the, you know, to contain the smell and all these things. And I think ultimately, uh, you know, we shouldn't be hindered by the old ways of doing things. And I think it's very interesting that not only can people cut down on the time from harvest to shelf, but also you know, reduce the the worry about things like mold and bud rot and uh, pathogens and, and all kinds of things that can actually destroy the quality of your cannabis while it's sitting around uh, waiting to be jarred up. So I think it's really interesting. And thank you, Greg and Tracy, for coming on the show. Well, thank you, Dan. Dan. And I wanted to say one more thing to you, Dan. You know, our company wouldn't be where it is today without you. And we are forever grateful. Well, I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for coming on the show. And thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks to Tracy and Greg for illuminating us on the CryoCure technology and process. And uh, we will be back with more Grow Bud Yourself after these messages. Hey guys, I want to tell you about Sweet Leaf Plant Nutrients. They have an incredible line of organic fertilizers, a brand new legacy line as well, which is organic, and some synthetics. A lot of really incredible tools for the modern gardener. So check them out at sweetleaf.com, S-U-I-T-E-L-E-A-F. The code DANKO15 gets you 15% off of everything that you can get at Sweet Leaf, which also includes uh, complete indoor hydroponic grow tent kits, uh, a bunch of different apparel and merch, and their signature line of amazing nutrients. If you join our Patreon, uh, you can get even more codes for 20 or even 25% off of Sweet Leaf newts and other products. I wanna thank them for being a sponsor, and as always, tell them that Grow Bud Yourself sent you. Yes, this is a Fortnite. And yes, this is a Fortnite. Strain of the Fortnite. What do you got for us? Uh, what do you got for us this week? Strain of the Fortnite. Strain of the Fortnite. Oh, you know what that means. <laughs> Strain of the Fortnite has leveled up in the world and now has its own sponsor rocket seeds which is the sponsor of our strain of the Fortnite, uh which is amazing so we want to thank uh rocket seeds check them out at rocketseeds.com or on their instagram page uh so yeah the strain of the Fortnite is available from rocket seeds as well and it is amnesia haze and actually this version is the feminized amnesia haze uh, very sativa dominant. So, you know, you're going to have to put a little extra time in with this one. It's about 11 to 13 week flowering time, but well worth it because, uh, as the name says, it's 
you know, a very potent and powerful strain. Uh, anything with the haze, you know, it's going to be, it's going to have that uplifting quality, that kind of electric, uh, fruity floral, uh, feeling to it. Uh, very much a daytime smoke. Uh, so yeah, amnesia haze. And you know, if you buy these feminized seeds, you don't have to worry about, uh, getting rid of the males and things like that. You're not wasting time growing out males. So that's interesting as well. Um, medically, uh, I find hazes really help with stress, uh, mood swings, anxiety, uh, even depression, things like that. It's very uplifting. Uh, so that's important. Uh, it can sometimes take people by surprise a little bit, and it does have that amnesia name. So uh, it can affect memory a little and cause a little bit of anxiety or paranoia if you're not expecting those type of effects. But uh, if you are, you'll, you should be fine. Uh, as mentioned, it takes a little longer to flower, 11 to 13 weeks. But uh, also, as with many sativas, uh, craves a lot of light. Uh, so give it you know, a good amount of light. Um, heat is good, too. You know, between 70 and 80 degrees uh, Fahrenheit is not bad. Closer to 70 than 80, <laughs> I would try to keep. But uh, either way, uh, as a sativa, it's going to stretch a bit. Uh, you can take off the larger leaves uh, as it grows. Uh, use a trellis to separate the plant. But uh, amnesia haze, man, a beautiful, incredible plant to grow. Available from uh, Strain of the Fortnite sponsors, Rocket Seeds, at rocketseeds.com. Uh, check them out and grow some seeds. All right, man. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, we're going to take a little break, then come back with our cultivation segment. Let's do it. All right, uh, here we are. It's cultivation segment time, and uh, yeah, maybe you guys noticed the strain of the Fortnite. We did that already. That's separated out a little bit, um, but but here we are, and uh, we have some great grow information for you guys. Yes, absolutely. And so here we are. The cultivation segment is brought to you by Diamond Cut Co. Uh, premium quality trimming scissors made by growers for growers with ergonomic designs check them out they've got five different models uh, to choose from in all different kinds of styles check out diamond cut co use the code danko20 for 20 percent off on uh on all their products and uh we thank them for being a sponsor of the cultivation segment awesome all right so um our listeners know that dan likes to offer up a cultivation tip that's going to make you a better grower so what do you want to talk about this week Yes. So this week, I want to give you guys six tips for growing great tasting weed. Uh, so this is just six different ways that you can improve the taste of your cannabis. Starting with, obviously, but not so obvious to many people, acquiring elite seeds or clones. Uh, no matter how good you are at growing, you're not going to produce good, good bud from inferior strains. So uh, definitely... Make sure to try to get elite quality seeds. If you're going to be growing from seeds, if you're growing from clones, make sure to vet where you're getting those clones from. And also uh, be smart about how you introduce those clones into your grow space because uh, there could be pests or diseases involved in uh, those clones. So be, please be careful. Um, but 
if you're getting them from reputable sources and you're ensuring that they are what they say they are, then you'll be able to grow great tasting cannabis. But remember, if you're just growing from bag seed and or something inferior, uh, you're not going to get great butt out of it. Uh, tip number two is to feed lightly. I know I talk about this a lot, but I think it's very important. If you want it to taste good, uh, you don't want to overfeed your plants. And uh, some nutrient brands will uh, recommend high levels of using their food uh, because they want you to finish up those bottles and buy new ones. Uh, if you have burnt leaf tips, uh, that's a sure sign that there's an overabundance of those salts and minerals and you need to really flush. So uh, err on the side of caution when you're feeding your plants. Uh, feed at half recommended strength unless you see some type of sign of deficiency. Uh, it's always easier to bump up newt levels. Uh, very hard to reduce them after you've over applied them. So uh, remember also the less you feed, the less you're gonna need to flush at the end and everything's gonna burn clean, uh, smell good and taste great. So that's tip number two. Uh, tip number three, uh, control the environment. This uh, seems obvious as well, but uh, is overlooked uh, by a lot of growers, temperature and humidity. As long as they're kept in the proper parameters, you will be very happy and the plants will be very happy. Uh, but if these get out of line, you and the plants are both going to be bummed out. So uh, you don't want the temperatures to exceed 85. You don't really want them to ever drop below 60. Uh, as far as humidity, uh, 40 to 50%, although that varies depending on the growth stage, uh, meaning that vegging plants can handle a little bit higher, you know, 60% or so. Uh, but as you approach harvest, you're going to want to bring that relative humidity down uh, to 30 to 40 or so. So... Uh, Heat and moisture at your canopy level is very important to monitor and you need to get air conditioning or heaters or humidifiers or dehumidifiers to change those environments and put them into the proper parameters. Uh, tip number four, dial in the pH. A lot of people simply think that uh, pH is fine and they don't really measure it very often uh, and they end up with uh, fluctuations that can really affect the plants and the, the ability of the roots to take in nutrients. So uh, just dial it in and keep it, try to keep it where it needs to be. If you're growing hydroponically, I would say somewhere between 5.5 and 6.2. Uh, if you're growing in a uh, soilless mix or cocoa or that sort of thing, I would say 6.0 to 6.8, just slightly on the acidic side of neutral, which is seven. Uh, when your pH is fluctuating, uh, you're going to have serious issues. So get yourself some pH up or down and uh, keep that thing dialed in. That is tip number four. Uh, tip number five, uh, flush the root zone. This is not just for end of uh, life, you know, end right before harvest, but flushing occasionally just helps uh, and just clears everything out and will will result in a cleaner burning and better tasting bud. So uh, you pour the water until it flows out the bottom of your containers. Uh, you can test that water too to see what's going on with your soil. If that water is really dark, uh, that might also be a sign that there's a lot of uh, nutrient buildup there. When you're flushing at the end, you know, don't be alarmed if you see slight yellowing or fall colors, that's totally normal. And that actually means that the flushing is working and uh, your plant is actually releasing a lot of the built up uh, salts and 
uh, minerals. Tip number six is to properly cure your buds, and that means to not just dry them and hang them, but to cure them in jars after they're dried, uh, after they've hung for at least you know seven days or so until the branches snap instead of uh, bending. And at that point, uh, cut the individual buds off, trim them how you like them to be trimmed, and put them into jars. Uh, and then occasionally open and close those jars, let the air replenish itself, and slowly cure those buds, and you'll end up with uh, really amazing tasting weed. So that is uh, my six tips for growing great tasting weed. All right, very good. Hope that helps some people out there. And uh, now it's time to move on to the question and answer portion of the show. So, if you have a question that you would like answered on Grow Bud Yourself, get in touch with us. You can email us. Uh, that is info at growbudyourself.com. Uh, what do you say we jump right in here with some questions? Let's do it. All right. First up is Troppy. Uh, Troppy writes, howdy guys. Uh, congratulations to us. We finally got a legalization program that kicks ass. All right. Yes, indeed. Uh, I've been a quote-unquote criminal since I was 13. I'm finally almost not a criminal anymore. I'll be free of that albatross the day my home grow is legal. Uh, now to the problem. I'm growing in two tents, one uh, for vegging and the other for flowering. The vegging tent has a 1,000-watt LED lamp, and the flowering tent has a 600-watt HPS lamp. Uh, two weeks ago, I moved a set of plants from the vegging tent to the flowering tent, and when I went to water them, all the plants had begun to flower. There was no stretch or any other sign of stress. They all just started growing flowers one week after starting. What in the world could possibly have caused that problem? Uh, help me not repeat this tragedy again. As it is, I'll be without weed for a while because the crappy yield will not last me more than a couple of weeks. Is it even worth continuing with these plants? So uh, what would you say to Troppy? Huh. Um, yeah, that's an interesting uh, concern. I mean, you put them into the flowering tent and a week later they had begun to flower. Uh, it sounds like maybe they just are, you know, indica dominant plants that flower uh, quite quickly, in which case you just need to veg them for a longer period of time uh, to get a bigger plant uh, and a bigger yield. Um, but as far as plants beginning to flower, I mean, it sounds like you took them from the veg tent to the flowering tent. Uh, there was no stretch or a sign of stress, but they started growing flowers. I mean, after a week or so of 12-12, they should start growing flowers. So I'm not quite sure what the problem is, except for the fact that you were maybe expecting a bit more of a stretch and a longer period of time before the plant started growing flowers, in which case you may just have a plant, uh, you know, that doesn't have much of a stretch to it, uh, in, more indica dominant. And in that case, you just need to keep them in that veg tent uh, a little longer uh, and make sure they're in large containers so that they can handle that extra space uh, for the roots and the everything. And then uh, you will have bigger plants to flower. All right. Uh, sounds good. Uh, Troppy actually has a follow-up here where, uh, where you get called out a little bit, Dan. So, uh, Troppy writes, I have heard Danny say that you can get about four ounces of flour from a single plant when grown indoors. Now, if I remember correctly, he also said he likes to grow organically. I have grown organically a couple of times and haven't even come close to four ounces. 
I have no problem getting that kind of yield when I use synthetic fertilizer, but growing organically has been a complete disappointment yield-wise. I think it's time you spill the beans. I want to know what you put in your soil and how you tend to those plants that you can get that much organic bud. So, uh, what do you, what do you say, Dan? Wow. Um, so yeah, I mean, basically it's almost a, a similar question. I, I just raised the amount of vegging time, uh, for plants that grow, uh, slower. So if I was growing hydroponically, uh, I would probably only veg plants for two, two or three weeks. Uh, same plants, if I was growing in them in, uh, you know, five or 10 gallon buckets, filled with a soilless mix uh, and using organic fertilizer, I would probably veg them uh, for a week for every gallon or so. So, you know, five gallons, I would veg them five weeks, 10 gallons, I'd veg them for 10 weeks. Um, and if you veg plants for a longer period of time, you get bigger plants, uh, in which case you can get those four ounces. Uh, you just have that longer time in the vegetative stage to build a bigger plant. Um, and again, the size of the container is important there as well. So uh, for every week I plan to veg, that's a gallon uh, size uh, of the container. So a uh, five gallon bucket, five week veg, uh, you should be able to get four ounces of dry bud out of a plant that, that veges for over a month um, under proper lighting with proper feeding. So as far as what goes into that soil, uh, I start with a pretty decent mix. Uh, I would go with a soilless mix of uh, pro mix basically that already has a lot of things added to it uh, if i wanted to add some uh, seabird guano bat guano things like that i would add them green sand uh, another great additive um, but mostly just use plain water for the first couple of weeks and then uh, depending on which stage of growth uh, a little more of that uh, seaweed uh, maybe compost tea that kind of thing and you can yield great plants uh, and a great yield with organic newts uh, as long as you use them properly. All right, there you go. Uh, thanks for reaching out, Troppy. Let's move on to Frank. And Frank writes, Hey guys, big fan of the show. I don't have a problem yet. However, I'm worried about the possible problems with smell. I bought a Mars 2x2 crow tent with a carbon filter fan, but I'm worried it won't be enough to mask the smell of the two plants I'm growing inside. I live in a townhouse in Miami. The grow is taking place in my porch closet, which doesn't have a door or a window, so it's pretty open to the outside air. Uh, I'm worried that the smell will leak out to the nosy neighbors. So my big questions are, should I be worried about the smell only growing two plants with a carbon filter fan? And if I do start to notice the smell, how can I immediately fix this so I don't alert the neighbors? Uh, thanks and hope to hear from you guys. So what would you say to Frank? Huh. Well, I, th I think the location of the tent is probably not a great choice, uh, particularly in South Florida. I think uh, you might have issues with heat uh, by having a tent that's open to outside air. Uh, and, you know, that smell, uh, once the plants are flowering, is, is, is a much bigger issue. And as they approach harvest, uh, that smell becomes more and more of an issue. Uh, and then where you hang them and dry them. If you're planning on hanging and drying, drying them in that tent, uh, you'll probably not, you know, that'll overpower the carbon filter and that smell will get out. So if you, but, but if you have another place uh, inside your townhouse where you can uh, dry the plants when they're finished, uh, you shouldn't have too much of a problem with two plants uh, and a carbon filter 
on the tent. And the only problem is if there's more air leaking uh, from out of the tent than you're pulling through that carbon filter, that's when you have the odor issues. But if you have a nice strong fan uh, pulling into that carbon filter and all the air from the tent is going through there, uh, the odors should not leak out as, as long as the plant is, uh, is alive. Now, once you cut it down and start drying it, uh, that odor is going to permeate. So you may want to consider uh, drying and curing the plant in a different place than that outside shed. All right, makes sense. Uh, we hope that helps you out there, Frank. Uh, let's move on to KC in Cook County. And now, uh, people might remember last week, Dan was uh, asking for some group research to find out where his um, spider mites hockey speech lived in our, our archives, because we don't know. So KC wrote, uh, hey, Danny and Mike, the hockey coach pep talk is on episode number 16 regarding uh, spider mites and the oncoming harvest. So thank you, KC. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, that's that was when I uh, I was imitating the uh, coach Herb Brooks uh, from the Miracle on Ice speech that he makes to the uh, to the hockey uh, to the U.S. hockey team before they beat the Soviets. Uh, but the uh, Soviets were replaced with spider mites apparently in this uh, parody should we should we hear a little of it <laughs> yeah why don't we play it let's let's right. hear it dave from oregon writes uh he, he believes he might have a spider mite infestation uh, but he'd like to know if he could still harvest despite this all right i got a pep talk for him great harvests are born from great opportunities and that's what you have here tonight dave that's what you've earned here tonight one grow if we grew 10 times, the spider mites might win nine, but not tonight, not this grow. Tonight, we get rid of them. Tonight, we spray them with neem oil and we shut them down because we can. Tonight, we are the greatest cannabis growers in the world. You are born to grow cannabis, every last one of you, and you were meant to grow here tonight. This is your time. Their time is done. I'm sick and tired of hearing about what a great time these spider mites are having. Screw them. This is your time. Now go out there and grow some weed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was definitely feeling myself. Indeed. Uh, well, you know, I like the humor. I think we need to bring, we need to bring, bring back the humor. Uh, I got some ideas for some, some, some future skits. So, uh, and, uh, and thank you to uh, KC for, for finding that. That, yes, that gem, that needle in needle in the haystack. <laughs> Absolutely, thank you very much to Casey, and uh, let's do one more. This is a question from Patreon from um, Sharif, who writes, uh, "Hey, congratulations on the legislation being passed in New York, uh, long overdue, and uh, thank you for the shout out on episode forty six. It was great hearing my name." Um, Okay, so now for my question. I'm putting together a compost tea, which I first heard about on one of your earlier podcasts, so I decided to go with organic molasses kelp meal alfalfa worm castings and bat guano. And any other suggestions, or do I pretty much have the ingredients covered? So what would you say, Dan? Yeah, I mean, those sound like great ingredients uh, for a tea. I would also, you know, include just regular compost, uh as well as all those other things that you talked about, uh, kelp meal, alfalfa, uh, worm castings, uh, guano, and molasses. Uh, 
it sounds like a nice mix. Just make sure to oxygenate that mix uh, for 24 hours. So put it in a bucket, uh, get a, a cheap uh, air stone and air pump uh, that you plug in that just bu makes bubbles in the bottom of that for uh, 24 hours. That'll really, that'll take the millions of uh, beneficial bacteria and microbes and turn them into billions uh, as the oxygen is is feeding them and and uh the molasses is, is also the sugars and things are being consumed and and uh those microbes are, are are multiplying uh very very quickly and rapidly and and very beneficial uh so yeah um just remember to oxygenate it overnight uh 24 hours before you use it uh dilute that till it's kind of like a uh uh, a light looking iced tea, like a kind of a diluted iced tea. And you can spray that onto your plants uh, as a foliar feed, as long as they're still in the vegging stage. Uh, you can use it as a soil drench. Uh, very, very beneficial uh, compost tea. All right. Thank you, Sharif. Thanks to everybody who wrote in. Uh, and if you have a question that you would like answered on the show, do get in touch with us. Uh, the best way is email. That is info at growbudyourself.com. Uh, we're going to take a little break, then come back and put a bow on it. Let's do it. All right. We are back, and I think it's time to wrap it up. So uh, I want to say episode 49 has been a lot of fun. Uh, thank you to DJ Jacques and Winshong. Uh, thanks to Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Uh, Greg and Tracy from CryoCure. Uh, very interesting uh, situations they've got going on with uh, freeze drying and all of that. Uh, thanks to our sponsors, our new sponsor, Rocket Seeds. Thanks to Sweet Leaf Plant Nutrients, Diamond Cut Co. Trimming Scissors, Excelsior Extracts, uh, Vapor.com. Check them out. Uh, code GBY at Vapor.com gets you 15% off on all your vaporization stuff. Thanks to all our Patreon supporters. You guys are awesome. Uh, tons of cool stuff coming for the uh, Patreon supporters as well so stay posted on that uh patreon.com slash danny danko and uh thank you to mike how are you mike hanging in there man <laughs> all right <laughs> well uh i think all the teams have had their opening days uh and baseball is in full swing so why don't we wrap this one up put it in the books and uh come back next week with another one